Testing, testing, one, two, three. Today on the podcast, we're talking about coronavirus testing. First, I suppose we should know how coronavirus testing actually works. For a lot of you, here's the good news. No needles. But the test might still be a little uncomfortable. What happens is a doctor takes a swab and inserts it into a patient's nose, all the way back to where the respiratory tract meets the back of the mouth, where cells are collected. The whole thing can be done in less than a minute. Once a sample is taken, it's put into a sterile container and sent to a lab where doctors and scientists work their magic to determine if the patient's cells are infected with the virus's genetic material. You remember RNA from 8th grade bio. Anyway, the process is a bit more complicated, but results can be ready in as little as 24 hours. You may recall that the past couple months, which were a critical time for the United States to test for the novel coronavirus, there was a lot of shortfalls. We heard about there not being enough test kits, faulty results, bureaucratic red tape, confusion on who should or could be tested, where, when, and how. The process of rolling out coronavirus testing was slow. Why? Well, partly because the CDC was the only place approved by the FDA to develop, produce, and process tests. Faulty and slow development of test kits caused severe delays in getting infected patients tested and quarantined. As the number of suspected cases grew and more pressure was put on the federal government to make tests available, the FDA announced a new policy that made it easier for commercial and academic laboratories to develop their own tests and allow other certified labs to test patient samples. On Monday evening, the FDA announced they were waiving regulations to get more COVID-19 tests on the market. Last night, the FDA announced groundbreaking new policies to further increase testing, very substantially so. That's President Trump announcing the FDA's announcement. All states can now authorize tests developed and used within their borders in addition to the FDA. So uh, the states are very much involved. They have been involved from the beginning. But uh, we're stepping it up as much as we can, and the testing procedures are going well. Uh, And within a short period of time, all of the private labs will kick in. This has never been done before. It seems to be all hands on deck now, and while testing is and should continue to be expanding, there are still hurdles to overcome, not least of which is the need for supplies. Realistically, it isn't feasible to test everyone who is sick in the U.S. Therefore, most health officials believe it's still important to prioritize the testing of people who need it most. Those at high risk, such as healthcare workers, symptomatic people in areas with high infection rates, and people 65 years of age and older with chronic health issues such as heart disease, lung disease, or diabetes. As more tests become available, it will be possible to test more people. We're already seeing drive through testing around the country. However, here in California, many of the hospitals offering drive through testing still require you to be a member of that particular medical group and have a doctor's note. Still, Christina Pascucci recently learned from Dr. William Hazeltine that it's not only a matter of availability of tests, but how those tests are being used in the context of people who are testing positive. Why is this pandemic so different? It's different because it's very rapidly spreading and it causes a lot of illness. People sometimes say it's not as uh, lethal as the worst diseases, say Ebola. As many as 15% of people need hospitalization who are infected. That's a very large number. If there's a population of 10 million people, 
that's one and a half million people. That's a huge number. We have we have nowhere near the capacity to handle that. So we know the coronavirus is obviously serious, but Dr. William Hazeltine says it is not as deadly as past pandemics like the 1918 flu. Every virologist is expecting a return of a highly lethal flu like 1918. Today, if we had that same type of situation, I think it could kill up to a billion people. We're not prepared for that. This epidemic is a warning from nature of what can come. In case you missed it in our prior episode, we talked to Dr. Hazeltine of Access Health International. He is a leading world expert on viruses, genomics, and biotech. He talked about the need to not just social distance ourselves, but to isolate. And he says another big challenge we're facing for the U.S. is testing. If you don't test, you're flying blind. You don't know where the epidemic is and you don't know where it's going. Hopefully, sometime relatively soon, there will be tests for those people who think they're sick. If you're not testing, then essentially you have to do a draconian quarantine, what they used to do in the Middle Ages, just quarantine everyone, right? That's right, that's correct. But the question is not only do you have tests, which we didn't, but we will. It's a question of how you use the tests. What do I mean by that? Suppose someone is infected, they're tested, a professional equipped with testing and quarantine authority should quarantine that person and has the right and should question them regarding every single person or group they may have met in the last 15 days. Every one of those people should be contacted and tested. And if positive, quarantines by force is necessary. What do current tests look like and who should be tested? Uh, the test is a pretty simple uh, nasal swab, throat swab. It's not a difficult test. Uh, once that is taken, it's uh, analyzed, get the results back. But who should be tested? Anybody who thinks they're ill should be tested. Every contact of someone who is shown to be positive should also be tested. Something shocking that Dr. Hazeltine shared with me was that South Korea tested 150,000 people in the same amount of time the CDC tested around 100. We should have started probably mid-January, and we really only started in the first week of March. Uh, We just didn't get our act together soon enough. Local governments are trying to test more than that. They've said for a long time, anybody can get tested. Well, that certainly wasn't true. And anybody who tried to get tested found out that wasn't true. Uh, They will bounce you around the system. The doc will say, go to the ER. The ER will say, go to uh, the infectious disease office. They'll tell you to go back to the emergency room. Uh, You'll get run around and you won't get the test. Hopefully that will change. What does a month from now look like? I hope two months from now looks like we're uh, digging out. I think two months from now. Uh, will look like China does today, where things are slowly getting back to normal. That's hopeful. Yes, it is. And I think that's, I think if we are rigorous in uh, what we do, uh, we can get to that happy situation. So why is to prepare for the worst and hope for the best? That's it. Much, that's exactly right. It's wise to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. While many experts think we could be a year away from a new vaccine, Dr. Hazeltine is saying something that made me hopeful about beating coronavirus. There are a number of chemicals 
that have been shown to be effective against almost all coronaviruses. Those chemicals have never made it to approved drug status, uh, mostly because of market forces. It doesn't seem as if pharmaceutical or bio company, tech companies think that uh, it's a good market. We know that the vaccine could be a few months away. However, there are some drugs already approved that could work against this, like drugs for HIV or Hep C, right? When do we think we'll know if drugs that work for HIV or Hep C will work for this? Um, it'll be a couple of weeks. It shouldn't, or a few weeks, let's say. It shouldn't be long. I think we need to hang on to these pieces of hopeful news. One aspect of this epidemic that we aren't hearing about as much is a promise of existing drugs that could work. And that's what Dr. Hazeltine is trying to tell us about. And on a lighter note, have you heard of the quarantini, Bobby? <laughs> yes, Christina, I have heard of the quarantini. But for now, I think I will stick to bourbon. It's important the American people understand that testing is happening all over the country. That's Vice President Mike Pence. All of our health experts wanted me to tell the American people, you don't need the results of testing to know what you should do. And President Trump's 15-day coronavirus guidelines are advice for every American in every community. They're the result of the best guidance of CDC and our health experts. And as the president said, we continue to urge every American over the next 15 days to put into practice the principles in the president's coronavirus guidelines. What are the 15-day guidelines? I feel like you already know them. If you're sick, stay home and contact your medical provider. If your kids are sick, keep them home and contact your medical provider. If someone in your household has tested positive, keep your entire household at home and contact your medical provider. If you're an older person, stay home. If you're a person with an underlying health condition, stay home. Home is where the start is. More tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this episode of Coronavirus Daily. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app so it shows up right in your feed. If you think this show might be useful to someone you know, share it with them. You can also help others find this podcast by leaving a rating or review wherever you listen. If you've got questions, let me or Christina know by reaching out on social media. You can tweet us at KTLA Podcasts or at Christina KTLA. For continuing coverage on the coronavirus, visit KTLA.com or check the KTLA News app. Thanks for listening.